0: guys you're listening to me reading stuff my name is robin i'm an artist i'm your friend i'm a daughter i am a parent to one cat no children uh i don't like to hike i love taking walks what's the difference i don't even know it seems like you're going up hills a lot and you're in dirt um, when you're hiking when you're walking you're just strolling down the street in your city having a good time Uh, What else about me that I'd like you to know? I still drink tons of water. I drink two gallons of water a day. I urinate constantly. That's how it goes. But I live and work in the same place. So it's no problem. My bathroom is like feet from me at any given moment. Uh, Is that about enough? Is that about enough of me? I think so. You know, I am really, I've been dying, dying, dying all week to read you guys a little bit Of an interview from the writer Catherine Ann Porter. So, Catherine Ann Porter was born in 1890. She was born in Texas, I think, and then she died in 1980. Uh, She's most known for her novel, Ship of Fools, which is how I first uh, got into her. And I've also, that's all I've read of hers aside from some short stories. And to be honest with you, the reason I really know her is because of my love of Carson McCullers, who wrote, who I've read several times on here, who is one of my all-time favorite writers. I recommend one more time to everybody to read The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, uh, the member of the wedding as well, if you want. Anyway, so um, Carson McCullers lusted after Catherine Ann Porter in a pretty serious way. She was always throwing herself before her in with, like, a great deal of intensity. She would basically, Carson McCullers, that is, would basically camp outside of um, Catherine Ann Porter's doors, (laughs) and I guess Porter would never let her in. She just, one night, she stepped over Carson McCullers' body just to go to dinner, Um, and I like that. On both of their parts, I, I particularly love McCullers' obsession, and I do like Porter's unresponsiveness, although it kind of breaks my heart, but when you research Catherine Ann Porter, I've read I've read a lot about her, and you can see why someone would get um, preoccupied with her. She's a real badass, and I love this interview from a book called Writers at Work: The Paris Review Interviews. This is the second series, edited, of course, by George Plimpton. Uh let's see. What this is a Viking compass book. My copy is from 1963. I'm sure you can find this online. I'm not sure, but I'll put links to everything once I post this episode. You'll see that in the description. Let me start with a little introduction here. Um Catherine Ann Porter was born May 15th, 1890 at Indian Creek, Texas. She spent her early youth in Texas and Louisiana. I'm sorry for the redundancy, everyone. I know I already told you that. And received her education from small convent schools in that area. She began writing, she has said, almost as soon as she could put words on paper. I did not choose this vocation, and if I had any say in the matter, I would not have chosen it. Yet for this vocation, I was and am willing to live and die and I consider very few other things of the slightest importance. Um, all right. It has a really beautiful intro, just kind of setting the scene. So when you, if, you got, if you get this, you're going to like that. And by the way, the interviewer is Barbara Thompson. Here's an inter- interviewer question. You were saying that you had never intended to make a career of writing. And here's Porter. I've never made a career of anything, you know, not even of writing. I started out with nothing in the world but a kind of passion, a driving desire. I don't know where it came from, and I don't know why or why I've been so stubborn about it that nothing could deflect me. But this thing between me and my writing is the strongest bond I have ever had, stronger than any bond or any engagement with any human being or with any other work I've ever done. I really started writing when I was six or seven years old but I had such a multiplicity of half-talents, too. I wanted to dance. I wanted to play the piano. I sang. I drew. It wasn't really dabbling. I was investigating everything, experimenting in everything. All right, let me skip ahead. As usual, I would love to read you all of this, but we don't have enough time. The interviewer later asks, Then you were writing all this time. And my friends, my dear listeners, uh, she was talking about how she was even um, an actress for a short time in movies, and she did all sorts of other things, journalism. So that's why she's asking, were you writing the whole time? And Porter says, all this time I was writing, writing no matter what else I was doing, no matter what I thought I was doing, in fact, I was living almost as instinctively as a little animal. But I realize now that all that time, a part of me was getting ready to be an artist, that my mind was working even when I didn't know it and didn't care if it was working or not. It is my firm belief that all our lives we are preparing to be somebody or something even if we don't do it consciously. And the time comes one morning when you wake up and you find that you have become irrevocably what you were preparing all this time to be. Lord, that could be a sticky moment if you had been doing the wrong things, something against your grain, and mind you, I know that can happen. I have no patience with this dreadful idea that whatever you have in you has to come out, that you can't suppress true talent. People can be destroyed. They can be bent, distorted, and completely crippled. To say that you can't destroy yourself is just as foolish as to say of a young man killed in war at 21 or 22 that that was his fate, that he wasn't going to have anything anyhow. I have a very firm belief that the life of no man can be explained in terms of his experiences, of what has happened to him, because in spite of all the poetry, all the philosophy to the contrary, we are not really masters of our fate. We don't really direct our lives unaided and unobstructed. Our being is subject to all the chances of life. There are so many things we are capable of that we could be or do. The potentialities are so great that we never, any of us, are more than one-fourth fulfilled, except that there may be one powerful, motivating force that simply carries you along. And I think that was true of me. When I was a very little girl, I wrote a letter to my sister saying I wanted glory. I don't know quite what I meant by that now, but it was something different from fame or success or wealth. I know that I wanted to be a good writer, a good artist. And if you don't mind, I'd like to read you one more, you guys. Um, she, the interviewer asks, What do you think are the best conditions for a writer then? And Porter says, oh, I can't say what they are. It would be such an individual matter. Everyone needs something different. But what I find most dreadful among the young artists is this tendency toward middle classness. This idea that they have to get married and have lots of children and live just like everybody else, you know? Now I'm all for human life and I am all for marriage and children and all that sort of thing. But quite often you can't have that and do what you were supposed to do, too. Art is a vocation as much as anything in the world. For the real artist, it's the most natural thing in the world, not as necessary as air and water, perhaps, but as food and water. But we really do lead almost a monastic life, you know. To follow it, you very often have to give up something, the interviewer says. But for the unproven artist, that's a very great act of faith. And Porter says it is an act of faith. But one of the marks of a gift is to have courage of it. If they haven't got the courage, it's just too bad. They'll fail, just as people with lack of courage in other vocations and walks of life fail. Courage is the first essential. And the interviewer says, in choosing a pattern of life compatible with the vocation, Porter says, the thing is not to follow a pattern. Follow your own pattern of feeling and thought. The thing is to accept your own life and not try to live somebody else's life. Look, the thumbprint is not like any other, and the thumbprint is what you must go by. And I will end there. I have so many people to thank. iTunes reviews. Obvious Breed blessed me and said they love my soothing voice. Well, Obvious Breed, I'm sure I love yours, too, if only I had the chance to hear it. M. Olive M., who is clearly one of the sweetest people on earth, says that I ease her day by sharing my neurotic moments. Well, M. Olive M., there are plenty more where that came from, my dear... 12587094ST98W, and it goes on and on. This person says, The poems are the best, Robin is the best, this podcast is the best. Well, I say, Your iTunes username is the best in all of its 75 character glory. And I'll further it and say, All of you are the best. Because anybody in this day and age who still takes the time to read, to consider others, and to care about all of these ancient art forms, anybody doing this is the best. We are in this together, people. Life is hard. Thoughtfulness is easy. Have a wonderful weekend, and I'll talk to you again on Monday. Goodbye.